Welcome to OCD Whisperer Podcast. This is your host, Christina Orlova. Here we talk about all things OCD. If you're looking for help, download my free OCD Survival Kit. It's packed with resources and bonus worksheets to support you on your journey. Go to www.coreresults.com. Welcome to OCD Whisperer Podcast. Today with me, I have two incredible guests, Dr. Lauren Wadsworth, who is a board-certified clinical psychologist, founder and director of Genesee Valley Psychology, clinical senior instructor in psychiatry at the University of Rochester Medical Center, and diversity, equity, and inclusion senior advisor at McLean Hospital Harvard Medical School. She's also a co-founder of Twin Star Intersectional Diversity Trainers and author of Did That Just Happen? Beyond Diversity, Creating Sustainable and Inclusive Organizations, a groundbreaking book on fostering diversity and inclusion in the workplace. We also have Dr. Caitlin Pensiati. Welcome back to the show. She is a licensed clinical psychologist and assistant professor in the Manager Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences at Baylor College of Medicine. Dr. Pensiati has an expertise in the assessment, conceptualization, and treatment of OCD, trauma, and PTSD, and a secondary interest in identifying and addressing mental health inequities in gender and sexual minorities. She has presented on these topics at regional, national, and international conferences and has published these topics in over 34 peer-reviewed scientific articles. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. I am so glad that you said yes. So for anybody that's listening, what really happened is I basically stalked Dr. Pensiati on Twitter. I found this this tweet that she posted and I thought, what a cool topic. And I would love to actually discuss this. And then Dr. Pensiati was kind enough to say, I have somebody else that should jump on here. So here we all are. Thank you for having us. And uh, I will defer to Dr. Pinciati on the person that really started this um, this wave in the field. And I'm just excited to be here alongside her. Amazing. So what we're talking about today is justice-based treatment for OCD. And, you know, it caught my attention because I was wondering, well, what does it really mean, right? It's a lot of words together. So I thought, let's let's jump on and talk about this. So that's my first question for both of you is, what is justice-based OCD treatment? I can start and, and then Lauren, you can hop in too. Um, but we use that term to describe a treatment approach um, that considers the client, the provider and society as a whole. Um, so, you know, it was, it was born out of kind of a recognition that in some cases we were sort of prioritizing OCD symptom reduction, uh, at the cost of people who belong to marginalized or minoritized communities. Um, some of whom sometimes are the, the treatment provider or maybe the, the client's peers. Um, so the idea is let's consider everyone and, and be respectful of everyone in our treatment approach. Yeah, and just to name that or just to add that the treatments that we've been trained to do that I was trained to do in leading settings in the country um, are using approaches that are still harmful. So some of the examples we give might seem ludicrous or unbelievable and just um want to say that they are being trained and reinforced in a lot of places. So our hope is that we can keep spreading this message. We really appreciate this platform um, because this is a oftentimes an injustice that's currently happening and being actively trained. 
Okay. Well, since both of you kind of mentioned that, I, I would love to hear, I think anybody listening right now would love to hear some examples, right? So we can get a little concrete about this. Um, sure. Whoever, whoever would like to jump in. Examples. Sure. I can start with some examples um, related to race and socioeconomic status. And, and uh, Dr. Pinciotti, maybe you can add some sexual orientation and gender examples. So sure. some examples that I was trained to do would be um, if someone has OCD related to fears that they might be racist, quote unquote, or do something racist, they might be instructed to do an ERP where they are writing down racial slurs over and over and over for 30 minutes or an hour, um, maybe even saying those slurs out loud over and over and over, either on their own in private or on a residential unit or setting where there are other people in the milieu as well. An example related to socioeconomic status might be um, going to a homeless shelter or a houseless shelter, shelter and just standing near people that might be without a home or low um, SES and having that fear, uh, triggering that fear of, of contagion or being um, becoming contaminated by someone that is struggling financially. Yeah, and in terms of gender and sexual orientation, um, a lot of them uh, that, that we were trained in uh, that we're starting to rethink are, you know, capitalizing on kind of stereotypes about what it means to to be LGBTQ plus. So uh, if somebody had fears that or uh, doubt that they might be transgender, um, you know, well, what what do trans people look like, quote unquote, um, and then go out and dress, you know, overly masculine or overly feminine, um, maybe kind of mimic like if you had a concern about being gay like what are some of the again these are all stereotypes like mannerisms that gay people might have and then go and have a conversation with someone where you're kind of mimicking gay people um so really kind of these exposures that that sort of capitalize on these incorrect and harmful stereotypes um and that also uh you know in some cases might carry a, an actual risk to the person if they're behaving a certain way in public and they encounter someone who's uh, really prejudiced and has a strong negative reaction to that these are, I think, excellent examples. Yeah, I, th I think this helps anybody listening to wrap their head around. And I'm sure for, you know, anybody who has OCD and has dealt with any of these subtypes specifically that you've mentioned, um, I can imagine. And I know as a provider, like, yeah, th those are the ways you, you're you trained, right? Um, and the fact is, yeah, you want to kind of sit back and go, wait a second, right? Like, these are also like fellow human beings. And so, you know, with that question, I think obviously the next question that anybody listening would probably have is, well, what would be other ways? How would you, what would you suggest? What would you recommend in terms of then how could you change the exposures, right? Like maybe somebody's thinking acceptance commitment therapy values-based, but that's just kind of one idea that comes to mind. But what, what would you suggest? What are some ideas? I think there, that definitely like using using ACT and, and components like that can be really helpful. Um, we can also take a justice-based approach to ERP so we can still be doing exposure therapy, um, but just in a way that isn't, you know, tokenizing marginalized people, isn't using them as props, um, isn't kind of like reinforcing harmful stereotypes. Um, and so 
one thing that, that, that we like to talk about is kind of when you're generating these exposure ideas, like reflecting on some, some questions about what, what am I really getting at here? Is there a different way that I can get at this fear um, that, that isn't, you know, adding harm to this community? I think the biggest question that I encourage people to ask themselves is, would you feel comfortable doing this exposure in front of someone who holds that identity? So, for example, if you're telling a client, um, you know, go ahead and, and write the N-word on this whiteboard and we'll just make sure that no BIPOC people come into the room. Um, that's when you really need to sort of question, like, well, wait a minute, if, if we're having to hide these exposures from some people, we should probably listen to that gut instinct. And so... <clears throat> There are ways that we can um, address really like the underlying fear without contributing to this minority stress and discrimination. So um, the person probably isn't on the surface just simply afraid of being gay and that's it, right? A lot of times it's more so just a, a doubt or feeling like, how am I supposed to move forward with my life? if I don't know who I truly am. And maybe they don't really care <clears throat> either way. If I'm this or I'm that, that's okay with me. I just need to figure it out. So we can do exposures to that kind of uncertainty and maybe whatever core fear is underneath that. So maybe the core fear is like, I've been living an inauthentic life. I've been lying to my loved ones or to myself. Okay, great. Let's do some exposures of maybe other times when you were inauthentic or dishonest with people, because I'm guessing that those are probably also triggering for you since that's what's underlying all of this. Um, we can also use, and, and I can let Lauren expand on this or, or other things too, but um, principles of like psychoeducation. So a lot of times um, because people's OCD so distorts their uh, beliefs and perspectives about groups of people, uh, they might just misunderstand aspects of certain identities or communities. So we can use psychoeducation and have people really educate themselves on different aspects of a community, which would both, you know, address uh, perhaps misinformation that they have, but also probably be a pretty potent exposure for them as well. Yeah, that piece of engaging in psychoeducation or learning about other communities could also target avoidance. If someone is avoiding being around people that they perceive as gay or queer, they might be going to a pride parade might be at the high, top of their hierarchy, right? So going to a pride parade, cheering along um, could be a way to do an exposure and a values-based activity if deep down in your heart you would want to um, support and uplift marginalized communities. Um, another example of getting at that underlying core fear, we can think about, um, again, that fear of being perceived as racist. Um, if we get under that, it might be more about um, being seen as a bad person or being a bad person deep down. Um, but if we really do a downward arrow or use some Socratic questioning around that, specific fear of saying a racial slur, we can help the patient understand or client understand that saying a word doesn't make you racist or not a racist or a good person or a bad person, um, that it's really more of a system of racism that we're all living in and we are all a part of, especially if we are white like me. Um, so understanding the ways in which it's much more complicated than the words that come out of your mouth literally in a social interaction. Um, and we can target the uncertainty by, instead of writing down the racial slurs, 
having a conversation with someone about maybe the topic of race and risking saying a word that could be perceived as negative or harmful. Um, we can in engage in expanding our relationships to people um, who have different racial, racial identities than ourselves to, again, risk making a mistake using a valued action of connecting and um, building a relationship. I love that. These are all such great examples. Um, and I love that reframe and, and that slowing down and really checking in truly like what's underneath this, right? And you both really spoke to that. A lot of times for folks with OCD, it's, it's more this notion of somehow maybe I'm a bad person or I'm going to do something terrible or I'm going to get something and be stuck with it or pass it on. And so exactly expanding kind of the definition, how else can we address those fears, right? How else can we get at that? Um, I'd love to ask you, you know, if we're thinking about um, things for providers, right? For, for clinicians who specialize in OCD, um, what do you think could be um, some things that they should be aware of in terms of when working with these themes or what are, what are ways that they can kind of help themselves to retrain, reframe and, and kind of start to adjust, adjust this? Dr. Wadsworth, do you want to take this one first or? Yeah, so um, I, I want to come back to something Dr. Pinciotti said, which was that gut check of would I do this with anyone in the room? Because for me, that's the thing that um, helps me make those decisions the most in the moment. It's a quick question. It's something that we can answer right away. If we have a gut feeling of, oh, that would make me anxious to do in front of someone from that community, then maybe we try to reframe it and target an underlying core fear. Um, I really like to bring to mind the addressing framework. Um, and so Dr. Pinciotti and I talk about this a lot, how we can use that framework, which covers all the aspects of sociocultural identities that we hold and reminds us of them. That could be age, race, sexual orientation, gender, ethnicity. Um, using that framework helps us check in with what themes do fall under this domain. It's not just race and sexual orientation um, and gender identity. There are at least nine different themes and identities that can interact. So using that framework to check in and make sure that we're thinking about all the different ways this could come up and be relevant. I would add to, um, <clears throat> so Dr. Wadsworth and I are currently working on a, a follow-up to the call to action paper that uh, is looking at applying a justice-based lens to other types of OCD that implicate identities um, beyond just sexual orientation and gender identity. We're really excited about that and to share that with everyone. Um, and a, a large component of that paper um, involves the clinician kind of educating themselves on what are the historical roots that are underlying this particular presentation of OCD. You know, I, I joked in the original call to action paper that although, of course, OCD can latch onto anything, um, it, by definition, it, it latches on the things that are deemed, um, you know, bad or undesirable in society on some level. And so, you know, the joke that like tomorrow I'm going to wake up and have OCD about like, oh, no, what if I'm like really rich and everybody loves me and I'm like really attractive? It's probably not going to happen with OCD. <laughs> right. That might be something else diagnosable. Um, and so, you know, thinking about 
even if if I don't feel that I personally hold these biases about this group, what have I learned by living in this society that does? What is that stigma that's been internalized that I might not even really be aware of, um, you know, that that might make me uh, have concerns about, um, you know, aging or disability or diagnoses or body size, like these sorts of things that we all just kind of internalize without realizing it. Um, and when we can really understand the historical root of those things, um, for one thing, we can build a lot more compassion. Um, and, and this is equally so for, for the person with lived experience um, and just really start to un unpack those things and, and um, separate a little bit of responsibility of like, am I a bad person for having these thoughts? I love that. that there's so much in there, uh, but I love that. And for any therapist uh, or even person with lived experience listening, I, I think this is great to bring to your therapist or provider and and kind of check in around this. Um, and, you, and you both kind of touched on something that I think I'd also like to ask about um, is the internalized systemic and societal biases, right? And how those processes can actually, you know, impact, um, I guess, treatment or also impact, you know, what somebody might do. Can, can you talk a little bit about that just so we can, I'd love to kind of get a little more kind of in depth about what, what, what those topics kind of mean, how they impact treatment, how they impact um, a client. Yeah. Do you want to start Dr. Pinciotti? Sure. Um, yeah. So your question is about like, how, how do these kind of historical roots impact like presentation and then kind of approach to treatment? Yes. Okay. So, um, so, you know, with, with SO and gender themed OCD, the historical roots of like anti LGBT stigma, um, really is what, what drives people to, you know, have these, um, obsessions about their gender or sexual orientation. Um, because again, if somebody, even if somebody feels like I, I don't personally feel like I'm transphobic, I don't personally feel like I'm homophobic. Um, and yet I recognize that there are people in this country who are. And so if, if I were to hold those identities, um, there might be consequences to that. Um, and so we can extrapolate that to, to other things as well. So thinking about, you know, how, how does systemic racism and white supremacy and, and capitalism kind of weave its way into these presentations um, and make them feel so commonplace that like, yes, of course, we don't want to age or we don't want to be people who can't be contributing productive members of society because we've been raised in this culture where our value is is like inextricably inextricably linked to our productivity um and this can play out too in in treatment as well you know some people we say like want to perfect their treatment so you know maybe their their plan was to do five exposures yesterday and they come in and they say like good news dr pinciati i did 25 exposures yesterday um and in those cases you know i like to say that you're actually sort of like feeding OCD through the back door, right? Like it seems on its surface, like, wow, you're doing treatment so well. Um, but we're really sort of like fueling this like perfectionism in OCD. Um, and, and OCD is one of those, or sorry, perfectionism is one of those kind of core tenets of white supremacy and capitalism. Yeah, I think you described that perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, thank you for that. And then one last question, because Dr. Westworth, you mentioned there's about at least nine different subtypes, and I'm sure anybody listening, they'd love to probably hear what are those nine. So can you can you name those for us? Sure. Yeah. And if folks want to reference back to this, they could always look up the addressing framework developed by Pamela Hayes. So the original framework covers most of these, and then we've added a few, covers age slash ageism. Um, diagnosis status, so having a mental health diagnosis in and of itself. With OCD, this might look like a fear of going crazy or being psychotic or existential OCD. Am I even real or not real? Um, disability status, so with OCD, that could be a fear of developing a disability that could fundamentally change your life and make it not worth living. Um, religion, uh, ethnicity, and race sexual orientation, socioeconomic status, indigenous heritage, nation of origin, gender identity, gender expression, um, and body image and shape and size are are the ones that we've um, added. So anything that you would add to the list, Dr. Pinciotti, did I cover no, it all? You, you covered that well. I, I'm impressed at how well you were able to just list that off. <laughs> and so just to kind of over the, the second half of it, that could be fears of being trans or not knowing your, your gender identity, um, not knowing your financial future, having significant financial um, stress in the future, so on and so forth. So within any of those identities, we'd ask, what is the underlying ism, whether it's ageism or homophobia? And then what would, how could that, how could OCD latch on to that? And be um, maybe suggesting that you could be taking on a taboo characteristic or trait or identity. Yeah. And, you know, as I'm listening, I can imagine, because I'm sure, you know, anybody with OCD, they'll also just feeling already kind of bad or shameful around some, some of the thoughts, right? Because some of them are so intensive and there are things that people don't want and don't like, right? So, um, and I, I mean, I know I myself can can think of this, but I'd love to have the audience hear from each of you, you know, um, in terms of if anybody's listening and maybe kind of starts to feel bad, quote unquote, right, about that, not only do I have these, but oh my gosh, maybe I'm I'm also having it in this way that's, you know, not, not really justice oriented or, ugh, what do I do? What would you say to somebody? I would say that the very fact that you're worried about that means that you have a value of justice and caring about others and empathy, right? So if you didn't care that you might be a racist, that would be more concerning, right? <laughs> and that act, actually having that fear is a very normative reaction to an, in, an unjust society. And so I would encourage people to think about how is that actually in line with what I'd like about myself or how I'd want to be in the world. And then Think about what am I avoiding that's getting in the way of living life in line with my values or what am I um, doing that's taking up a lot of time and taking energy away from other things that, that, that matter to me. So it's probably not going to be, oh, I wish I could be more comfortable saying a racial slur, but I'd like to be able to talk to people more freely and feel more comfortable um, in social situations. Yeah, I mean, we use that term ego dystonic uh, for a reason in OCD. It's it's when the obsession is at odds with somebody's values and and beliefs and and what matters to them. So if you 
didn't really care whether or not you were racist, you probably wouldn't develop OCD around that theme because you wouldn't be obsessing about it. You would just be racist. Um, and so I, Dr. Wadsworth makes makes a great point that, you know, the fact that that these are things that, that someone might be concerned about, even though there might be some shame and worry about like, how are other people going to respond to this? Um, you know, it, it means that these are things that are important to you and, and characteristics that you don't want to have, that you don't want to be a racist or you don't want to be homophobic. Um, and, and hopefully people can connect with providers who understand that and know OCD, um, and can address those appropriately. I love this. Thank you both so much. This has been a very invaluable conversation. And of course, as I always like to ask every guest, how can people find you if they would like to find you, Dr. Pinciati? Um, so I'm on Twitter, like you said. Um, it's at CM Pinciati, P-I-N-C-I-O-T-T-I. Uh, I like to share, you know, research findings and, and things that I'm up to on there. Um, I also have a website, cmpinciati.com. Um, I do have some handouts and, and worksheets and resources that I've put on there that people are free to use, including some that are specifically about justice-based uh, treatment. And I can be found at laurenwadsworth.com. And just want to put in a plug that uh, the paper that sparked a lot of this is on Dr. Pinciotti's website. You can find a reference to it and you will be able to find the new paper that has a table outlining how to do this with other types of OCD and identity as well on her website, hopefully in the next few months. Yes. Yeah. TBD. Lots of great things that Dr. Wadsworth and I are pairing up on. So the future feels very bright for OCD treatment. I love it. Thank you both so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having us. Thank you for listening to OCD Whisperer Podcast. If you want to take your recovery journey to the next level, our online class, the OCD-free ERP Mindset, may be the right thing for you. It features video lessons, journal prompts, and worksheets designed to help you break the OCD cycle. Access it now and start thriving today at www.coreresults.com forward slash e-learning. All links are in the show notes.